6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler continues his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 1 through 3. Verse 17, so he died, excuse me, so he died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because he had no son. The one who had no son is, uh, is uh, Azariah that died. It's hard, the, the grammar is a little confused the way it's translated. See, Azariah died. He did not have any son, so his brother, uh, Joram, takes the throne. But Joram uh, reigns instead in the second year of a Joram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Don't get confused. We're not going to be dealing too much with Jeho- uh, Joram, Jehos- uh, the the. Uh, the southern kingdom king. Most of our narrative is going to be in the northern kingdom, so it shouldn't confuse you. But it caused some confusion because Jehoram is the name of both of them. And I haven't adopted the convention that some Bibles do where they spell it differently to avoid the confusion, but uh, let's just go on with it. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, uh, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So this, in a sense, in a logical sense, closes off where First Kings might have closed off. But we got a little, what we've had so far is sort of a carryover from where we were before. But now we are in Second Kings chapter 2, and this is the famous event of, you'll excuse the expression, the rapture of Elijah. And uh, the word is translation by most people, but it's the same, in, the same concept that we're going to be hitting head on here. Uh, uh, this is when Elijah closes his ministry at the end. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1, It came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And uh, so we're going. this is going to be the conclusion of Elijah's life. And uh, the chapter will close with Elisha, his, his, his uh, uh, protege, being heckled by some hecklers. And we're gonna, he's gonna show you how you bear hecklers before we're through. But, uh, as it came to pass, uh, when the Lord would take up Elijah and so forth, that's, that's sort of a preview of what's coming. Um, now the Gilgal we're talking about here is not necessarily the Gilgal by the Jordan River. It's the Gilgal, uh, that's, uh, closer to Bethel. And, uh, it, uh, maybe the modern Jilla-Jilla, uh, it's about seven miles northwest of, of the Bethel that, that we generally have on a map. But it's interesting that the uh, Hebrew says went down to Gilgal. Now Gilgal is a higher elevation than Bethel, and it's in Ephraim near Shiloh. Uh, the, and so, in uh, it's interesting what it's known for is the center of false worship. So it's interesting how even in the grammar, it's a descent spiritually, even though it's an elevation. He doesn't go up to Gilgal; he goes down to Gilgal. There's a spiritual. Uh, Spin by the editor in here, by the way, the Hebrews did. Anyway, uh, and Elijah said to Elisha, now Elijah's the old guy, Elisha's the young protege, get the, don't get him confused. Elijah said to Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Now, in spite of Elijah's exhortation, 
Elisha declared that he would, he insisted upon going along. And it's going to be three stops here. He, uh, uh, Elijah can't shake the kid. Um, I shouldn't call him a kid. He's not a child, but the point is he, he, he's tenacious. He is, he is, he's some, uh, there's indication that he understood that this is Elijah's last day. And he's going to hang in there. He wants to be present when Elijah finally gets taken. And Elijah's trying to see how committed he really is. He tries to shake him and he's, he doesn't, he, he can't do that. The, Elisha's determined to be with the father of his faith to the very end. So he refused Elijah's suggestion to stay comfortably here in, in Gilgal. And uh, Elisha probably figures that the dying person usually has blessings, like in Genesis with Jacob. So he wants to be there at the tail end. So, um, so the sons of the prophets, now there's a, there are schools of prophets. There's at least three of them that we'll encounter. These are almost like guilds. This is where people get trained to expound the word of God to the people. There are schools for false prophets too, but these... The sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said to him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it, but hold ye your peace. So the word's around somehow. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went together to Jericho. First to Gilgal, now to Jericho. And they'll be, then they'll go to the Jordan shortly. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha. And said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord will send me to the Jordan. See, it's, it's, there's, it's three different places. He, Elijah goes, tries to leave the kid behind. He won't stay behind. He insists upon tagging along. So they go from Gilgal. They go to Jericho. Now they're going to go to the Jordan. Elijah said to him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And so the two went on. The fifty sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And the two of them, that's Elijah and Elisha, stood by the Jordan. And in verse 8, Elijah took his mantle. We're going to talk about this mantle a little bit more. He took his mantle and wrapped it together. In other words, like rolled it up. And he smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that the two went over on dry ground. Does this reminiscent? of two different occasions in the past. When they crossed the Red Sea, leaving Egypt, you all know about that story. You also recall that when Joshua takes them across the Jordan to Gilgal, that's the Gilgal or the Jordan, uh, again, they cross the Jordan miraculously that way. 500 years before uh, this, this uh, occurred at the Jordan River. And uh, so God repeats this miracle for the two of them, for both Elijah and Elisha. And you can check this all out in Exodus 14 in your notes if you want to follow through later. Um, this is one of several similarities between Moses and Elijah. There's some very interesting differences. There's also some interesting similarities. I encourage you to, to explore that, to get, to get develop your perspectives. In any case, this event would certainly remind Elisha, the young protege, that the same God has the same power, and, and, and he's still alive and well in Israel. And, of course, the focus of all of this is the northern kingdom, is Israel. It came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. In other words, they, they mutually understand that this Elijah is, is on his way to be with the Lord. And Elisha said, I pray thee. <laughs> now, you have to understand his mentality. Before he visualizes Elijah as the father, as his father in the faith. Not literally his father, but in the faith. 
And so uh, Elisha is sort of putting himself in the position of the firstborn. And the firstborn son always got a double portion of the inheritance. So Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He's not asking for material goods. He's asking for something far more precious. Now here's Elijah, this incredible, incredible um, guy that we've, you know, at Mount Carmel, you know, called down fire from heaven, you know, three, you know, uh, several times. Um, and Elijah, you can tell he's Jewish. It's got chutzpah. I don't want what you've got. I want twice as much of what you've got. You know, that's <laughs> and so Elijah says, "Thou hast asked a hard thing." In other words, uh, uh, it's, it's not up to Elijah to do this. It's up to God, of course. So he says, "Thou hast asked a hard thing." Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So it's up to the Lord, and He'll know whether He did or not. Does He actually see what's coming? Now, it's interesting, if we study the career of Elijah, there are generally regarded seven major miracles that occurred. He stopped the rains back there in 1 Kings 17. He multiplied the widow's food, you may recall. He restored the widow's son to life. He calls down fire on Mount Carmel, you may recall, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Restores rain to the land, calls down fire on the soldiers, and divides the waters of the Jordan just recently. So that's seven miracles that Elijah did. Elisha wants a double portion, right? Well, as you'll discover when we get through Elisha, there are 14 of them, twice as many. He got his double portion. And we won't go through them here because we'll go through them one by one and we'll review these when we get through uh, into chapter 6. But but uh, we've got uh, uh, 14 of them. So Elisha, probably less well known, but in many respects a greater prophet than even Elijah. And so let's move on. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 11. It came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha sought, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. And uh, so this is the famous event. So Elijah is one of the two people that did not die. Enoch didn't die. Remember Methuselah's dad. And Elijah didn't die. He was translated directly into heaven. Now it's interesting, by the way, the storm comes. Chariots, by the way, and horses were idiomatic in that day of the most powerful weapons militarily. They generally, they speak, chariots speak of of warfare. And so this is, uh, this is, this speaks of, uh, the might of God. But it's interesting, the, the scholars point out that he went up in the storm into the presence of the Lord, but not in the chariot. He went up directly in the whirlwind, and not, not the chariot. Some people always see him riding a chariot. That's not really what it says if you're going to split hairs here. But uh, so what God is saying here, of course, that his power is far greater than any military might. Now this, this also, this storm that takes them up should be reminiscent too of the pillar of cloud that guided the Israelites all through the wilderness. And a spectacular conclusion to a spectacular life. But now we shift to the, uh, Elisha, his protege. He did see it, so he did get the double portion. Uh, Elijah, of course, is going to be greatly missed. But, uh, Elisha's ministry is going to be different than Elijah's. Elijah was very public. 
Elisha will do more miracles, 16, uh, 14 of them, but private and typically facilitating a particular person's need. Uh, so he's more of a private kind of a guy, a little different style in his ministry. But here's the interesting thing. What Elijah left behind was his mantle. So he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. So Elisha is literally wearing the mantle of Elijah. And uh, verse 14, he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. In other words, the crossing, crossing back the Jordan just the same way he came, using the same mantle, splitting. Now, it's not the mantle that's splitting the waters. Don't make a fetish of it. Don't think there's some magical thing about his mantle. That's not the point. The power is not in the robe or in Elijah. It's the power of God. It's doing it in both cases. And it's important that we not lose sight of that. The same thing, if you remember when he started the Ark of the Covenant, when the Philistines took it and so on. It's not some kind of a fetish or it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the power of God that's irrelevant, not, not the particular artifact that's being used here. And like that, he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? That's the question for today. You know, where is, where is the living God today? It's amazing where people look to find God and uh, um, rather than look to the living God of the Bible. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about the legend about this mantle before we finish. Let's move on. When the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. So they've been watching what's going on. They said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. They don't realize somehow that he's gone off to be with God. They sort of visualize, remember like Obadiah did a few chapters ago. Uh, God took him, but he could, where is he dropping him? Where, where, they're, going, they're going to go search, where is he now? They saw him take up in this whirlwind, but uh, where is he? So he said, uh, he said, we pray thee, seek thy master. Lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or in some valley. And uh, first Elijah says, he shall not sin. Come on, no, no, we're not going to do that. And uh but they urged him until he was ashamed. He said, it's sin. He gave up. In other words, they insist upon sending a search party. And Elijah's telling him it's futile because Elijah, uh, Elisha knows what's happened. These guys somehow don't really get it. They're, they want to send out a search party. So finally, he just, just keeps the peace. Okay, if you're going to go, go. He knows it's a waste of time. They sent therefore 50 men and they sought three days but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said to them, did I not say unto you, go not? In other words, he try, I tried to tell you, and uh, okay, uh, <clears throat> verse nineteen. The men of the city said unto Elisha, "Behold, I pray, the situation of the city is pleasant as my lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground barren." This is the uh, this is the area of Jericho there, and the waters are typically brackish, but there is a well that they depend upon that's got good water. And he said, uh, and he said, "Bring me a new cruise," and they put salt therein. Now, salt is normally what you don't want to put into your drinking water, right? But Elisha says, put the salt in the cruise, and they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. And again, it's a miracle, because the salt isn't what the water needed. It was just a demonstration that God was healing the waters. Uh, 
the, uh, the, with these leading men coming to him, it gave him an opportunity. What he's trying to get across, bear in mind, see, the northern kingdom is an idolatry. And item after item after item, trying to get across that God is real, God is alive, God cares. What's interesting about this is the parallelism, because uh, the, this physical situation uh, is parallel to the situation of the nation, because they had spiritually polluting influences of Baal worship throughout the entire nation, and uh, the, 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 the waters were polluted too, just as their worship is polluted. And God can heal both if they all let them. Let him. So, uh, so again, this is a teaching exercise, but they don't learn. One of the questions you can ask yourselves, we can get into a whole side issue here. Remember, it rings familiar to you from Luke 14 and Matthew 5. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherein shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for a dunghill. Men cast it out. He that hath ears, let him hear. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. And uh, you are to be the mechanism for God's healing the earth too. Now, the next incident that comes here is probably one of the most criticized incidents in the Scriptures. And it's pointed out by with glee by the enemies of, of the Word of God who who feel that there's a these poor little children are going to get killed. Well, let's understand what we're getting into here. It's, it, there's a lot of translational issues that have confused many, many people. Um, As he went up from thence unto Bethel, and he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city, and mocked him, and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And what's all to be going to happen is there's going to be uh, uh, these. They're, they're going to get torn to pieces. A lot of people get upset by these little children. Isn't it, isn't it a little brutish? Well, see, part of the problem, he's going up to Bethel. Let's understand Bethel. It means house of God, but this isn't the Bethel that you're thinking of. This is the one uh, that uh, is uh, uh, has not lived up to its name. It's uh, This is where one of the golden calves were placed by Jeroboam, and uh, this is where people uh, would come to worship that couldn't, you know, that, that instead of going down to the temple in Jerusalem. And there's also a school for the false prophets at Bethel. And uh, obviously an imitation. The main point is they are godless, and so um, there's no, uh, the, the, these these uh, people had no training at home, no no discipline. The word Bethel is a misnomer; it means the house of God, not here. And it's sort of like Los Angeles, which means the angels. But there's uh, anyone; it means the city of angels. But uh, there's anything but angels down there. But I won't get into that. You, you all saw the Academy Awards. Uh, we move on. Um, this epithet, by the way, bald head, uh, is really just a term of scorn. Elisha was fairly young, uh, and also he probably had his head covered anyway, so not that he, had, he literally was bald, but not that that's point one or the other. The real key here is this word little, translated little children. That's what causes so much misunderstanding. The word is na'ar in the Hebrew. It's used of Isaac when he was 28 years old. It's used of Joseph when he was 39. Uh, and the sodomites that attacked the home at Lot were used the same word there. there. It really means young men. And you'll find it all through the scriptures. Samuel came to anoint uh, the, the sons of Jesse. D- David, the youngest, wasn't even among them. And the same word, are these all thy children, he says to Jesse. Same word, Na'ar, in the Second Kings 2, verse 23. Solomon, in First Kings 3, and Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, are called Na'ar. Uh, these are young people in the singular, in their, in their cases. But the point is, also, Rehoboam. Remember when Rehoboam sought the counsel of his young advisors? 
The word is an R. So don't think they're uh, little children is a misle- misleading. They're not children. They're accountable moral people. They're just they're young, but they're accountable and uh, young fellows. They were students of the false prophets. They were a gang that mocked and ridiculed Elisha. And they said, go up, bald head. What they mean by go up, bald head, what they're challenging you to do it, Elijah did. Go up to heaven, let's see you, let you do that. And why don't you take off like Elijah did, is what they're really saying. So they're jeering in the slang of the day. And uh, so if, if Elijah was a great prophet of the Lord, he should go up to heaven like Elijah reportedly had done. So, incidentally, it's interesting, they were ridiculing the truth in Scripture that God will take a people out of this world. That's what he did to Elijah. That's what we were challenging jeeringly him. And that's, of course, what's coming. So forthcoming. And we should remember this in, in uh, Second Peter, uh, yeah, Second Peter chapter three. Peter warns us, says, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So uh, th- there's going to be at the last days people who will ridicule the idea that God, that, uh, that, uh, God is going to take out a people for his name. But let's get to verse 24. Uh, and he turned back and he looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Now, it's one thing to curse somebody. You're cur- cursing somebody in the name of the Lord with his authority. That's pretty scary. And guess what happened? This is the way you bear hecklers. There came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tore forty and two children of them. That's a bunch. And uh, it's uh, it's uh, interesting. There apparently were 50 of them originally, I think, and there's 42 that are killed. Uh, the, the fact that there's so many of those implies that this was an organized mass demonstration. It wasn't spontaneous. But in any case, um, eight of them somehow survive. I think that's interesting because that's how many God saved in Noah's day. But uh, anyway, Elijah went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom. Now, before I go on, uh, this seems this is probably a good place to share with you a legend. This is not in the scripture. I'm not suggesting it's true. It's simply colorful, and I'll share it with you. When you get to John chapter 1, you're confronted very early in that chapter with John the Baptist. And you discover that John the Baptist is preaching where? Anyone know? Bethabara. In the Jordan, it's the place where Joshua crossed over. And later on, he'll say, if, if God, God can raise up from these stones, sons of Abraham. The stones are probably the stones that were placed there by Joshua and they crossed over. But the point is, he is in essentially Jericho, right there by the Jordan. It's about 20 miles to Jerusalem. If you're renting a car, it's still a little, it's a drag. It's quite a, it's quite a ways to go because it's a rough country. There were so many people going to see John the Baptist that the temple sent an inquiry team to find out what's going on. Are you, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not. Are you that prophet, the one Moses talked about? No. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not. See, they, they, they know something's up because there's crowds from Jerusalem attending the speeches of John the Baptist at the Jordan. Now, one of the things that uh, may clarify a little bit of the mystery, what's the appeal? John the Baptist was not preaching a market-researched, user-friendly sermon. He was laying it on him. There is a legend I want to share with you because it's kind of colorful. When Elijah gets caught up, his mantle drops, and Elisha takes it and puts it on. And he uses it all through his ministry, we'll see. 
The question is, what happens when Elijah finally does die, which he does eventually? What happens to his mantle? We don't know. There is a legend that the mantle is taken and put in the altar of incense, you know, in, in not the not the not the brazen altar outside, in the in the holy place, right in front of the holy of holies, in front of the you know, there is a, uh, a a little stand, little cupboard kind of stand. It's the golden altar, the altar of incense, and apparently has it's sort of like a cupboard too. It's a little, you know, it's a foot and a half square, and and maybe thirty inches high, and. Uh, the, the, the legend is that inside there, that's where they put Elisha's mantle. Move ahead to the days of Zechariah, who's serving as a priest, the father of John the Baptist. He is tending the altar of incense. That was his job. When his turn came up, every 20, there's 24 courses, and they turned, they rotated every Shabbat, and he's on duty. And uh, as you all know, the, the, the angel comes and tells him he's going to have a son. And we all have that in the scripture. What's not in the scripture, but part of the legend is that what he was also told to do is take the mantle out of the altar of incense. And he kept it. And 30 years later, when his son grows to be John the Baptist, John the Baptist was wearing the mantle of Elijah. That's the legend. I came across this legend, did not take it seriously. There's a lot of these colorful legends. They're kind of fun, but you want to be cautious. But when we were doing research for our book on the temple and the Ark of the Covenant, I came across an interesting argument by the rabbis. The the argument was intended to deal with the whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant, but the main point that came out of what they were building the argument on was that the, the altar of incense in Herod's temple was the altar of incense from from Solomon's. There's apparently some textual uh, Mishnah or Tesefta or whatever uh, authority for that part of it, which means that if it was in the, if Elijah's mantle was in that uh, little contrivance, it would, it could have been in the second temple and could have been available to Zechariah to take. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of Second Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. His Word.